0: Hey Boneheads, Sophie here, just coming in to give you a quick content warning for this week's episode. There's going to be a lot of discussion of gore and decaying flesh and drinking of blood. So if any of these things are not your thing, go ahead and skip this episode and we'll see you next week and we love you. All right, enjoy the show.
1: What time is it? Let me check my watch. Oh, it's bone o'clock.
2: In olden days, a glimpse of femur was only for morbid dreamers. But you're not alone. Bring anything wrong. Two good feet, gals with deathly interest go on a skeleton inquest in your head
0: hello and welcome to anything bones i'm sophie schwartz i'm caitlin hart and this is the podcast where we
2: talk about you know um what is it uh, oh bones bones
0: and also bone related topics
2: oh sure those two
0: Mm hmm. And today we are joined by someone who is extremely special to my heart, my friend of a full ass decade, and someone who I go to for everything from Shakespeare history to problems of the heart. Ladies and gentlemen, Dungeon Master and Shakespeare scholar Odessa Cross. Hi! <laughs> Thank you so much for joining us on this bone-tastic day.
1: Thank you for having me. It's very exciting to be here. I've uh, been listening to this podcast since pretty much since it's inception. I think you sent me a couple like demo tracks that I
2: listened yeah. to before it was even live. Oh, I remember that being like, <laughs> "Hey, it- sending it just frantically to people like can we can you make sure this is okay like we don't (laughs) want to embarrass ourselves completely
0: like hey cherished friend is this anything is this is this am i good is this something
2: (laughs) are you embarrassed for me
0: (laughs) no you are very good i love this podcast oh Thank thank you so much i just wanted to ask you your interest in bones. I know that you have always been interested in things that are eerie and dark and mysterious and in the fantasy realm of things. But do you have any any bone type interest?
1: I don't know about bone type specifically. I mean, you you kind of got it. I am a very fantasy interested person. And there's certainly a lot of, you know, magic to be found in bones and and death. I also am a uh, a history nerd. I love Shakespeare. I took Latin in high school. And those, you know, those people are all dead. So we're learning what we can <laughs> about them based on what they've left behind. As a person, I'm very frightened of death. <laughs> I don't want it to happen yes. to me.
2: Oh, we all are. <laughs> I love that that's in your like in in the first few minutes of the podcast, because that is a real thing. We don't talk about as much like it's a real fear that everybody has. It's the the big fear. Yeah.
0: Yeah, no, we talk big shit on this podcast, but I'm terrified. But on the fantasy side of things, you and I have a game of Dungeons and Dragons that we play with our Third decade of friendship Jackie and there there have been a couple bones in that
1: there have been a few bones i I do remember one time I sort of gave you a uh a little bit of a scene with a lot of uh bones strewn about uh to leave you to kind of piece together a little bit of what had happened, and you immediately like be lined for all of the bones, and I was like, I should have expected Sophie to be really interested in the bones <laughs> aspect of this
0: this yeah. uh conjuring circle yeah and then we spent 45 minutes looking at a rod in the middle of the room when the rod was nothing
1: the rod was nothing i that
0: i did set the rod up
1: to look a lot sketchier than you know it was uh for for all my dungeons and dragons heads out there uh rods They're cool, and you should give your players one, but don't put it in the center of a sketchy circle that has dead bodies around it, because then they'll be like, this is exploded. And they won't want it.
0: Yeah, we were convinced that the rod was what had killed the people. So we were <laughs> very uh, hesitant to go towards and get the thing that Odessa wanted us to get as an item to have and use. And and
1: that's on me for leaving bad context clues. And, you know, I, I learned and... <laughs> Next time I'll make the rod seem even scarier. So how's that?
0: <laughs> no, not an <laughs> even scarier rod. <laughs> that sounds so wrong, honestly. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> but speaking of fantasy and magic, Odessa, I believe you have some some bone related research to share with us.
1: Yeah, I. that's a great segue. This whole thing... Talking about my interests has all been really setting me up super nicely because I researched something that's uh super up my alley. So to uh to kind of start us off, and Sophie already knows where this is going, but I Caitlin, I don't think you do. But what comes to mind to the two of you when I say the word necromancy?
2: Dark magic, spooky, <laughs>
0: and scary. A cauldron, maybe? Ooh. I'm thinking, well, I'm thinking bones. I'm always thinking bones. I'm thinking of the great novels of Tamsin Muir.
2: Mm, yeah. I'm also thinking about how close it is to, like, necromancy, or, no, sorry, what's the other word? What am I thinking of? When you have sex with a dead body.
0: Necrophilia. Necrophilia,
2: Necrophilia, yeah. (laughs) Uh, I'm so sorry, but in my head, those words sometimes, like, get mixed up, and it's bad.
1: Well they they both have necro in them. Thank so, you. you know. Thank you for your understanding. <laughs> that's the first five letters right there, <laughs> which means death, am I wrong? Yes. Death. This is another great segue because I wanted to start off talking about the etymology of the word oh. uh, necromancy. I am a big etymology nerd. And so necromancy comes from the Greek nekio, which is, of course, a root that means death, or specifically sometimes dead body or a corpse, hence your uh, necrophilia. Ah. And monteia comes from the root mon, which has relations to words like mental and mania. And Monteia means divination or an oracle. So necromancy was originally the practice of divination through the dead, specifically conjuring up spirits to ask them questions, sometimes about the future, sometimes about things that the spirit might have known in life or, you know things that you think the spirit might have heard while gossiping with other spirits in the afterlife.
2: (laughs) Did you see what Jeremy's grandson did to that (laughs) tiny bird the other day? Shocking.
0: (laughs) Jeremy's grandson is so fucked up.
1: (laughs) This is in the, no, in the Ovid talks in the uh, Metamorphoses, conjectures like this marketplace in the underworld where all of the dead spirits meet to like gossip and hang out. Yes. I yes. love that.
0: I love that. That's amazing. I want to go on a visit. Yeah, yeah. I want to come back.
1: I want to go to the Dead People Gossip Plaza.
0: <laughs> I want to be a fly on the wall. Let me rephrase. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I wonder if they have good corn dogs at the Dead People Gossip Plaza.
1: <laughs> That's, uh, what's it? Frank and Weenie? Never mind.
0: <laughs> this is this bad? <laughs> I Excellent. did a bad job. <laughs> no, I'm keeping that. <laughs> Right. Weenie oh no. is the punchline of any good joke. <laughs> <laughs> you imagine, yeah, Where were you with a movable rod on that one? <laughs> Another Frankie Weenie.
1: That's the scariest rod. Alright. Uh, on that on that good segue. Uh my sources are the online etymology dictionary, my one true love, my number one bookmark on all my browsers. <laughs> really? It's up there. I visit it pretty frequently. <laughs> Wikipedia, an archive of a page on a website called Newsfinder that no longer exists, but I access this through the Wayback Machine. Hell yeah. The Biblial B- Biblio- Archaeology Society, biblialarchaeology.org. Ooh. And the WordPress blog Death in the Ancient World strategies of coping with death in ancient Greece and Rome. So I wanted to talk about what
0: that original necromancy looked like. I'm super excited about this because we see a lot of necromancy in fantasy novels. You know, necromancers are always kind of thought of as these evil people But from what the etymology of the word sounds like, it just sounds like people trying to talk to the dead or the very human thing of like, can you tell me what's coming up in life for me, you know?
1: Yeah. And something that I found was how it kind of could overlap with a lot of other forms of like divination. Like we've all heard about like the oracle at Delphi. They had oracles of death. As Oracles of the Dead as well, that were called Necromonteons, which is like Ooh. a temple, a temple of necromancy. So I want to talk a little bit about some of the uh some of the ceremonies that may have happened at these temples of necromancy. And these are kind of hard to find information about, just like for the layman doing some, you know, Google searches online, because a lot of these websites are, like, no longer up, like, I had to, you know, go through the archive, or it's like everything is cited to some dusty old tome that's like, well, I don't have access to a giant university library, so I'm not going to be able to read this book, or like, I don't have a JSTOR account kind (laughs) of thing.
0: Yeah, ripped to so my JSTOR account.
1: I know, ripped to my free JSTOR access from college. Uh, pour one out for a, a real one. But one of the other things that makes it kind of hard to like find information about these necromantic practices were that often inherent in the in the ritual was like swearing the person to secrecy. Oh. So it's kind of like the uh, the Eleusinian mysteries where it's like they did these rituals and then nobody really talked about them.
2: So the first rule of the necromancy temple is don't talk is, about the necromancy
0: temple. Mm-hmm.
1: mm-hmm. Oh, exactly. Yes. Exactly jesus you know you'll have like historical accounts of like there's one where it's like this guy's wife died and he wanted to know like where some money was that she'd hidden so it's (laughs) like and so he sent a servant to go consult the necromancer and the servant came back with this answer and it's like wait what that you skipped over a really a big
2: hang on you really sent your servant You didn't want to go yourself?
0: Yeah, he sent a messenger. I would want to go myself. To talk to the necromancer sounds important to me. Maybe it would be
2: too scary. Maybe that's mm. why. He was like, maybe the necromancer will fuck me up, so I'm gonna send my servant instead.
1: Well, according to some accounts, these experiences that people would have at the Oracles of the Dead would be really scary. Like, it would be days long of, like, you'd be underground and, like, a bunch of freaky shit would happen. Uh, no. But we will we will get to that.
0: <laughs> I am loving this. I wish that <laughs> I, I could attach to this audiophile pictures of my face because the whole time I'm making a face of pure excitement (laughs) as to what are you doing in a days-long death ritual underground? I gotta know! I- yeah! What- what are you- what are you talking about? What are you
1: asking? Yeah. So the earliest known record, I think fictional or otherwise, that we have of necromancy taking place is from The Odyssey, in book eleven, uh, Odysseus is instructed by the like witch goddess Circe to go to a particular place and do some things that seem to line up with other records of how necromancy would be would have been performed. Which is he goes he digs a trench in the ground and fills it with like offerings to the dead, and then trigger warning for animal death sacrifices a uh i think it was any black animal odysseus sacrifices a black sheep and you let its blood pour out on the ground and then the spirits of the dead in the odyssey they come and he lets them drink the blood and then they you know tell him (laughs)
2: like the the truth what's what he needs to know they have to feast and then they'll tell him his business (laughs)
0: that's what i was just gonna say they're like i'm hungry i need a snack before i tell you what you want
2: yeah exactly they're
1: like i hate the journey here from the underworld was (laughs) crazy i like we'll talk but i really need a snack first
0: i could not stop anywhere
1: (laughs) they didn't have any 7-elevens on the banks of the river Styx. They have one, but it was closed. It
0: was closed! I know! (gasps) All I wanted was a taquito and a Slurpee. Damn it, before I tell this guy his fucking shit.
1: This blood will do fine, I guess. (laughs) So that's one kind of necromancy. Another is a lot tamer, which is, (laughs) you know, you go to sleep, maybe you sleep Near, like, the grave of the person, and then you, you know, have some special dreams. There is one that I want to go into in particular because I found a really good, like, record of what this process would have been like. But this oracle is very interesting because it's the oracle of Trophonius, and Trophonius is, like, one guy. (laughs) <laughs> He's like this old like you know hero god spirit, so it's like you know you wanna you wanna get an answer to your question and go to an oracle of the dead, and it's like, well, we got Triphonius <laughs> here, we don't have we don't have anybody else on our speed dial. I'm sorry, I'm looking to talk to my grandpa, no, I'm sorry, <laughs> we have Triphonius, he can do a pretty good old man impression
0: <laughs> hi no i'm I'm sorry, I'm here to talk to my great aunt. Hello! Uh, Trefonius! <laughs> I'm Trefonius! I, it-
2: <laughs> I tell you what, I saw your grandpa. He's sitting on a rock over there. He just <laughs> ate a cracker.
0: <laughs> nice! Thanks, Trefonius! Uh, Thanks, Trefonius! Goodbye! <laughs> Bye, Trefonius! Bye, Trefonius! That was really helpful, thank you. <laughs>
1: Oh, Trophonius. We love that guy. Okay, so this these rituals of the oracle of Trophonius. So these pilgrims, you know, they would come here, they would have to stay in a specific building for, like, a couple of days. Like, you go on this pilgrimage, you gotta talk to Trophonius. Day one, they won't even <laughs> let you in. They're like, take a load off, sit down. Like, Trophonius will see you when you're ready. mm and not before. <laughs> they also had to not take hot baths and could only bathe in the uh, nearby river. So I don't know if that's a thing for all death oracles, but apparently, Triphonius likes them stinky. <laughs> <laughs>
2: He's got a smell that you're there. That's uh, that's a Rasputin thing, too, I feel like. Yeah, he was also stanky. He liked to bathe in rivers, I feel like, and liked to be gross. He was
0: also an oracle of sorts. Yeah, yeah, that's why I thought of it.
1: Hey, you hear that thing about how celebrities don't bathe their children? They're training them to be oracles.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Damn it. If you put that out there, someone will believe it. (laughs) Mila Kunis and Ashton Kutcher are raising the next great oracle. (laughs) All right, what do we got to do next if we want to see (laughs) Trophonius?
1: No, I mean, you know you gotta make your animal sacrifices, and you mm. at least have to have a ram in there. And the priest of Triphonius is gonna check out your sacrifices and let you know if they're looking good. And if they're not, get the fuck out of here. Triphonius doesn't want <laughs> your two-bit, second-rate, bad entrail-having offerings, okay? <laughs> Alright, so then if the priest of trophonius is like your animals good good your animal entrails. is dead <laughs> your animal is dead and we're happy with its organs
2: god what would what if you sacrificed an animal and they were like this isn't good enough like what do you do you just have to keep trying
1: yeah right like do you bring back up animals
0: i would sounds like you probably should yeah it's, that sucks but if you are serious about seeing Triphonius, you know
1: oh and apparently the uh these animals that were getting sacrificed were also like the food that they would serve to like the guests so while you're doing your little like hotel stay before they let you start doing this process you're eating like the last dude's sacrifices that he <laughs> brought
0: that's I mean, kind of like that.
2: Yeah, at least yeah, they're not know. just throwing it in a cl- down a cliff yeah. or something. Yeah, they're exactly. Using they're the not just
1: like animal. hucking them in the river. Yeah, that
0: people bathe in.
1: So you've done your little stay. Everything's good. Your ram's guts, great. Then during the night, you will be taken by the river by two. This is a very weird phrasing on this translation. Two boys of the citizens, about thirteen years old. So a couple of Ew. teens are gonna come get you and and wash you, take you to the river and anoint you with oil and wash you. I God don't trust teen boys to do that. That's inappropriate. I don't trust I don't trust middle schoolers to, to do anything of the sort,
2: no. They're gonna do a prank. How the hell did they get that job? That sucks.
1: That's, hey, Mila and Ashton's kids, watch out. That's you next.
2: <laughs> yeah. They're gonna have to- Oh, God. (laughs) No. No, I don't want that for anybody. I'm sorry that these poor, ancient baby
0: teenagers (laughs) had to do it. Well, I'm- I'm just picturing two, like, angry teenage boys tossing you a sponge being like, do it yourself!
1: Uh, you got oil, you got river, you've taken a bath before, like you can figure it out, right?
2: Well, all the oils in their pubescent skin are not going to mix well with all the oils that they're using on you, so uh, they're probably pim- pimple
0: y. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> a bunch of pockmarked teens are going to come get you for a bath. <laughs> this is this is the worst
1: okay we're moving on because I can't think about this any longer because it's horrible <laughs> so so you get washed by two pockmarked teens and then then they bring you to a pair of fountains they have two different kinds of special water the water of forgetting and the water of memory and first you drink the forgetting water so that you know you will be no thoughts head empty perfect blank slate and then you drink the memory water so that you will be able to remember all of the stuff that is about to happen when you have your great visit with trophonius (laughs)
2: Okay, we still haven't met Trophonius yet. We still
1: haven't met Trophonius. We haven't even met Trophonius. So we're going into a cave, right? All of these oracles are they're usually caves or underground because that's where Hades is. That's underground. You're closer to the dead people. They often have like rivers or bodies of water to because like the river sticks, I think. That's some some conjecture.
0: That makes sense to me.
1: Yeah, so there's a cave that you go through to get to the altar of Trophonius. And apparently they bring you a little ladder when you have to get down, but otherwise there's no way to get down. It's just, you just go down feet first into this little hole to go down to see (laughs) Trophonius. With your barley cakes kneaded with honey in your hand. No explanation on this is given, by the way. You just gotta have a snack when you go see Trophonius.
0: I mean, is the snack for you? Is it for Trophonius? How am I supposed to climb the ladder with a fucking cake in my hand?
2: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Very good questions. I'm getting very like Harry Potter and the Chamber of Secrets big vibes here.
1: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm I'm feeling that. So, and the the um guy writing this apparently, you know, describes the body being drawn in just as the largest and most rapid river will catch a man in its eddy and carry him under. And then the next sentence is, after consulting the oracle, what, the visitor would be placed on the chair of memory where a priest would ask him what he had seen or learned, then paralyzed with the terror and unconscious, both of himself and of his surroundings. He would get carried to the building where he had lodged before. There, he would recover and regain his power to laugh.
2: Oh my god! They're like, we're gonna take you into a dark hole, and then we're gonna take your soul away from you, and then we're gonna go give you breakfast at the hotel.
0: Hmm. This sounds terrifying. You climb into a dark hole, have a mysterious encounter with Trophonius in a river, maybe? And then you come out, you sit in a chair, and the priest goes, what happened? And you go, terrible shit.
1: Yeah. I'm not gonna get too into this, but this blog post that has this this experience like, recounted, then goes on to talk about the similarities between this experience and people who have had near-death experiences and what those experiences have been like for them. Which, granted, I think most near-death experiences don't start with being taken to a river by a couple of pimply teens and sent (laughs) down a ladder with honey cakes in your hand. But I think it's a really interesting comparison that they've drawn.
0: Yeah, well, maybe that is akin to what you experience when you get dropped down a dark hole
1: yeah i mean and it's it's one of those things because it's like i you know i'm a skeptic but i also in my heart want to believe so like i'm not going in there thinking like oh they're definitely gonna talk to trophonius but you know whatever happens down there like maybe trophonius is down there like who am i to say but like i think it certainly puts you in this like state where you might see or hear some things or have a little bit of a have a little bit of a wild time mentally inside
0: and then you kind of come to conclusions that either aid you or don't in yeah. your life yeah i think that's fascinating
1: and there is there's one other one that i won't go super into this one this one is really interesting to me because it's People found it in the mid-19th century, or the mid-20th century, and they're like, oh, this this necromanteon, like this temple to Hades and Persephone, it has all of these underground things and, like, tunnels, and these are these pieces of food, and so the pilgrims must have gone on this really long journey, and then here's the big hall, you know, the big room underground where they would have, like, seen the visions, and, like, oh, what's that on the other side of the room? It's, like, are these pieces of the uh, theatrical crane that the priests might have used to, like, hoist themselves in the air and pretend to be spirits? And then... About 30 to 50 years later, some other people were were like, No, we think that's a barn. Actually, (laughs) I think that's maybe probably a barn, and those were parts of the catapults that they stored there, and not that very cool thing. Uh, So that'll give you an idea of just the range of interpretations that can
2: happen. (laughs) Two guys are like, God damn it, that is so stupid, you are so wrong. <laughs> it's a barn, you idiots!
0: Oh god. Wow. Uh, that's amazing. I love that. I'm on the side of the guys who want it to be priests flying around, being like, I'm Trifonius. <laughs> I really want it to be
1: flying priests. I just want it to be, like, the most ridiculous, like, immersive theater experience ever. Like, eat your fucking heart out, sleep no more.
0: Yeah. These priests are coming for your wig.
1: (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, that's a little taste of uh, the origins of necromancy and and how people might, you know, the experiences that people might go through, whether they be like these wild waking hallucinations or just like you have a nap next to a grave and you dream about, you know, Old, old <laughs>
0: <laughs> And the trophonious one sounds super intense. Let's be real. Yeah. Yeah. I I think, you know, that's just this
1: one that we have documented. I imagine there are probably a lot of others like that that we just don't have or I wasn't able to find uh, thorough enough documentation of. But yeah, that sounds wild. I don't think I'd want to do that. No, I, th- I think I'll pass.
2: I'm good. Thank you.
0: Yeah,
1: I, you know, Trephonius. It was so nice of you to uh, to call me up and invite me to come by your place.
2: But please, um, please come to my cave. Those
1: those teens really gave me the runaround (laughs) last time I came over. And like, I don't. I'm pretty low on animals right now, man. I don't. I will (laughs) give you a sheep
2: to sacrifice to me. Please, I need the money. I need the business.
1: Trifonius, I'm sorry, I'm just like, you know I would love to, but I've just been like so busy and like I really don't have like a week (laughs) to to sit around and not take a real shower, Trifonius. I may be in college, but I can't live like that anymore.
2: Trifonius (laughs) will go back to the cave. You come when you're ready.
0: (laughs) I love this dialogue between... (laughs) trophonius and and the guy he's always trying to get to come and and stay at his weird hotel trophonius is oh caitlin if you ever open up a spa could it be trophonius's spa and oracle experience
2: yeah definitely
0: so speaking of spooky things because that was terrifying let's be real
1: yeah i'm I'm sorry. I thought that would just be like a nice, you know, amuse-bouche. I didn't think <laughs> I
0: didn't think that uh the Trophonius experience would hit quite so hard. Well, when you think about it in real time, it's pretty it's pretty hideous. Yeah. Yeah. I well, c- keeping the hideous parade going, we're going to talk about a historical figure who's pretty fucked up and nasty. We're going to be talking about bad vlad the stabbing lad excuse me vlad the impaler
1: <laughs> i love bad vlad the stabbing lad
0: <laughs> that's what i have been calling him to myself as it's I research. really good it rolls thank off the you. tongue mm-hmm. thank mm-hmm. you and i think it's very articulative of Who he is. We're going to just jump right into it. Sources first, of course, we have an article from Medium, one that's from all that's interesting. That was super helpful. Wikipedia, of course, Atlas Obscura, Ancient Origins, and that's it. So let's talk a little bit about Dracula, because, of course, I think when we say Vlad the Impaler, a lot of people think Dracula, right? Or... Some people do. I didn't um, until until just
1: now. I didn't know. I I know there's a connection,
0: but it's not my first thought. No. Well, maybe I overestimated that. Um, <laughs> but so we have Bram Stoker's Dracula, which is like a classic piece of horror literature which was published in 1897 by bram stoker and this is of course about a vampire and he feeds on blood and he attacks his victims at night pretty straightforward kind of the classic vamp this dracula this version of him is completely fictitious but there are connections apparently with vlad the impaler who is a historical figure in romanian history hold on any relationship to edward from twilight <coughs> distant cousins <laughs> okay thank you <laughs> although edward is gonna want to hide that after we're done with <laughs> <laughs> we're exposing edward cullen's backstory yeah fuck you edward
1: <laughs> edward cullen is canceled yeah
0: <laughs> we're yeah this is this will cancel For this
1: and no other reason yes yeah.
0: So, Vlad the Impaler was the ruler of an area called Wallachia, which is part of present-day Romania, and he was doing his nasty thing in the mid-1400s. So, historical record, again, a little bit like the necromancy, is kind of spotty in this time. Vlad the Impaler, also known as Vlad III, because we're going to get a lot of Vlads in this story. I'm sorry. So, he was probably born between... 1428 and 1431, and this was a really tumultuous time in Wallachia. Vlad was probably born to his father when his father settled in Transylvania in 1429. So we're getting some hints of vampire, because as we all know, I mean, this is profiling, but, you know, a lot of vampires are said to be from Transylvania. So his mother was a queen who came from a Moldovian monarchy, and his father was Vlad II, Dracul.
1: Uh-huh. Yeah,
0: so we're, so you kind of see where stuff is coming together here. Dracul, of course, we're getting some more etymology, is connected to dragon. So his dad was part of this Christian crusading order called the Order of the Dragon, Ooh. Which sounds scary and in this present era a little racisty.
1: Yeah, sounds sounds terrible. <laughs> yeah. Right?
0: But you know, Vlad also had two brothers, Mircia and Radu, w- who will come up later. So Wallachia's in kind of a sticky spot because they're kind of right next to the Christian ruled Europe and also the Muslim ruled Ottoman Empire. And Dracul's territory was kind of in this zone of turmoil between these two kind of clashing religious empires. So he grew up in a time of a lot of, like, violence and chaos. His dad and young Vlad had an opportunity to go on a diplomatic visit to the Ottoman Empire. And when they got there, they were actually kidnapped. So...
1: Oh, Don't you hate that when your family, I mean, can a vacation ever just go according to plan?
0: I mean, it sucks, especially because they were like, here's the deal. We're going to let dad out, but we're going to keep all your sons. Oh, no. And dad agreed. Shit. Dad!
1: He's like, I'll just make more. No! Oh, no! <laughs> He's like, it's the 15th century. I don't, I'm fine. I'll I'll have five more in the next week.
0: Yeah, honestly, like, in one of the articles I read, it said that it was like this, he deemed it like the safest decision for like his nation or whatever. But he also left his young children behind to be tortured for years by, you know, their Ottoman prisoners. So, you know, it's it's a sticky spot. Yeah. So yeah. at this time, the princes did end up like Vlad and his buddies did end up getting educated in this time, but also horribly abused. Back at home in Wallachia, there's a coup, and they end up over overthrowing Daddy Dracul, and they kill <laughs> they. I'm laughing because this is horrible, but uh, Daddy Dracul is killed in the swamps behind his house, while his older son is being tortured, blinded, and buried alive. Whoa. Jesus Christ. Yeah, and we haven't even gotten to Vlad the Impaler. He's still a kid.
1: (laughs) This is is his-
0: His dad (laughs) and his brother? Yeah. Killed in a swamp. Tortured and blinded. Anyway. So I wrote here so we're already having fun. Ooh. <laughs> so Vlad the 3rd, Vlad the Impa- later to be Vlad the Impaler was freed pretty soon after his his family's death and he ends up at this time using the surname Dracula kind of to pay homage to his dad. Oh. Uh-huh. Okay. So here's where things get a little bit confusing in Wallachian history. So, in 1448, our hero Vlad returns back to Wallachia to take the throne from Vlad from Vladislav II. He's the guy who who killed his dad and took his throne. Our Vlad gets the throne back, but a couple months later, uh, Vladislav says "fuck you," brings his guys back, takes the throne back. Then, in 1456, our Vlad says "no, fuck you." And takes his army back and takes his throne back uh, for real and is able to secure it. So lots of turmoil. So there's a legend that our Vlad personally beheaded Vladislav on the battlefield. And that's just his first taste of violence because it's going to get a lot of worse. And once he was back on his dad's throne, it was time to roll up his sleeves and get nasty with his reign of terror. (laughs) (laughs) As the historians would put it. Yes, obviously rephrased by me. So after he takes the throne back, he's still got a lot of enemies of his own to contend with. A lot of people thought that Vladislav was a better ruler. So they're not super jazzed to have Vlad back. So, mm-hmm. And this leads to a lot of little rebellions uh, in his area. And so he's like, well, I've got a solution to that. Why don't I just invite them all over for a banquet?
2: Oh, this is not going to go well. There's no goddamn way. I have seen Game of Thrones. I think it's going to be really
1: nice. I think they're going to have a nice dinner party they're really gonna bury the hatchet you know they're gonna find common ground they're gonna make each other laugh and and they'll walk off into the sunset together beautiful happy ending
0: i'm gonna send you a picture of what happened at the banquet (laughs) (laughs) oh
2: no oh those are those are men on kebabs (laughs) ouch what is this guy at the table eating? I, I don't. What is on the plate? Like, is that a chicken? Or, like, oh, this is so
0: chaotic. So, unfortunately for his guests, the party was not what it seemed, of course, and Vlad had his guests stabbed to death, and then they're still twitching bodies impaled on spikes. Ugh. And, and what I've sent is an artist rendering where Vlad himself seems to be watching this happen while eating a nice dinner.
1: Yeah, he's- I was gonna say, I love that it's just a little table set for him. He's like, I wasn't lying, it is a dinner party, just for me.
2: He looks like Dumbledore in this picture, by the way. <laughs>
0: I mean, there are, I can just send you later some other portraits of him, but he kind of does look like that. <laughs> He's wearing a funny hat. Yeah. <laughs> and this is just kind of the beginning of this kind of behavior for him. It can be said that he brought stability and kind of safety to the region, but he also like super, super, super enjoyed killing people. That was, he really liked it. He actually wrote about how much he liked it during one of his campaigns against the Ottoman Turks in 1462. He wrote, quote, I have killed peasants, men, and women, old and young, who lived at Abbasaza and Novacello, where the Dube flows into the sea. We killed 23,884 Turks, without counting those whom we burned in their homes, or the Turks whose heads were cut off by our soldiers. Thus, your highness, you must know, I have broken the peace. Yeah, you bet you did. He sounds like a fucking psycho. From this, we can extrapolate. He liked his job. Impalement (laughs) was kind of his favorite thing to do, though, obviously, due to his name. And trigger warning for this being particularly terrible and gross and gory. Um, So if you want to skip ahead 30 seconds or a minute, please do so. So impalement is where a wooden or metal pole would be jabbed through the body, starting at a hole of your choosing on the underside, through the whole body until it came out either like the shoulders or like somewhere in the head and chest region. Oh, God. And sometimes it wouldn't catch any organs. So you would just (gasps) kind of stay alive for like a little bit
2: awful
1: that was my one thought of comfort was hopefully you're out of there before it gets too far in but that's terrible
0: yeah he was a really shitty he was a really terrible person in all walks of his life there's a story about how he had a diplomatic meeting with some ottomans and he was like take your turbans off and they were like we can't. It's for religious stuff. And he was like, cool. And then he had their turbans nailed to their heads. What the fuck? Ma'am Yeah. Yeah. He often used these big shows of violence to intimidate people. There was a sultan, uh, Sultan Mehmed the uh, Second, who was himself known for being pretty violent and fucked up, but he came across a basically a giant a road lined with 23,000 of his own men lined up on stakes for some say as long as 60 miles jesus oh christ oh my god yes when he had tried to invade wallachia in 1462 and the ottoman forces retreated the next day <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah it's fucked up I mean, it's kind of crazy because some accounts claim that Vlad the Impaler killed 80,000 people during his reign, impaling 22- 23,000 of them at least. Jesus. So, like, he's doing this all the time. That's so many people. Yeah.
2: Like, for what? I'm sure. For nothing, well, pretty much.
0: To keep his throne, basically. Yeah, yeah. This is... Because he was in such a spot between two empires that were constantly trying to get his small piece of territory, he was, like, constantly fending people off. So I think – and plus, he'd experienced a lot of violence as a child. I'm not explaining away this. I'm just saying this is possibly where his head was at. Yeah. And speaking of where his head was at – um. His reign ended in 1462 when Hungarian forces take him prisoner and they install his brother instead to his throne. And the Hungarians are like, we don't want to kill him, but we don't want to risk war with the Ottomans. So we're just going to take him prisoner. But then he gets released and is beheaded in a battle against the Hungarians later. And then it's said that they took his head back to constantinople and gave it to that sultan Mehmed the second who had all his guys lined up on the stakes they gave him his head and they put it on the city gates but here's my question how did we get dracula from this guy yes yes that's what i want to know one small account there's an account that according to one legend vlad dracula was enjoyed dipping his bread in the blood of his victims <laughs> okay one guy
2: writes Gross. it down that he dips his butter in blood and
0: now he's a fucking yeah. vampire
2: there's a lot of blood drinking in
1: this episode right
0: that's why i was so excited when you started bringing out blood sacrifices i was like oh, oh. <laughs> hmm <laughs> you know who else you know who likes blood <laughs> but so the next question is where is he buried because you would think a guy like this would have a pretty kick-ass tomb right from everything that we've talked about on this podcast there are three potential places where he could be buried contestant number one is camana monastery in camana which is in romania and it's near bucharest and they think that this is likely where he's buried because it was built by Vlad in 1461, so it makes sense he'd be buried there. And in the 70s during excavation they found a headless body buried there. So they think that might be him. Other experts think that he is possibly interred at Snoglav Monastery. <laughs> Snoglav. I love Snoglav. Who doesn't? I don't know. So experts claim that it was founded by the grandfather of Vlad the Impaler, and some say that Vlad constructed it himself, but like we said, super fuzzy backstory, like, history time. But we also know that, like, the the monastery dates from 1408, Vlad was born in 1431, he didn't build it. So they think that maybe he's buried here because it's possible that he died near Snoglov Lake and that it would be easy enough to bury him there. And another common line of reasoning for this was that Vlad's followers didn't want their leader's body like defaced. So they wanted to put it in somewhere that was kind of remote. And this place is super remote. Until recently, you could only visit this monastery by getting in a fucking rowboat and rowing your ass to it. No, thank you. (laughs) So they think that he's buried like deep within the church floor and that for his tomb, there's like a false coffin above it that's filled with animal bones. And then his real tomb is underneath. And the church was excavated in 1933. It's like some national treasure shit. Oh, people love a false coffin, right, Katoon? Uh, I mean, I do. I love it. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. So they did find a false coffin, and it was filled with human and horse bones, but they didn't really find. He was a centaur.
2: <laughs> Dracula was a centaur. <laughs>
0: you've cracked this wide open so th- there's other than him being a centaur there's not a lot of evidence that this is him and they didn't find anything else underneath that the third place is wild <laughs> estonian uh, scholars believe that they might have found the location of his grave in fucking naples italy it's a little ways away it's super random They've discovered evidence that suggests that, like, he was taken prisoner and ransomed to one of his daughters in Italy. And their evidence is that there's a headstone in Naples, Piazza Santa Maria, La Nova, that has images of the hou- Transylvanian House of Capathians, And there's, like, a bar relief that has uh, symbols... Of, like, a dragon and two opposing sphinxes, which is represents the city of Thebes, which is connected to part of his naming convention in Romanian, which is Vlad Tepe. Oh. But this is all unconfirmed. But here's the real thing. I've cracked it wide open. Are you ready for this? Yes. It's a fucking trick question. He's a vampire. He doesn't have (gasps) remains. Fuck. Mic drop story over. (laughs) He's a fucking headless (laughs) vampire. So suck it. So suck it. Eat my turds. You'll never find his remains because he's still out there. (laughs) Yeah. So that's that's bad Vlad the Stabbing Lad. (laughs) Nicely done. Thank you. A little spooky silliness for a little disgusting, horrific bullshit for spooky season. Oh yes. yeah, yeah, some gory stuff. Yeah, I'm sorry. I think next year, Caitlin, I want to do. Um, maybe we'll do Gootober, where we talk about gooey stuff.
2: Oh my god, that sounds really that sounds really gross. But I'll, I'll consider it cool. <laughs> I think now would probably be a good time for a little ad break from one of our pod moth buddies. So here you go. Enjoy. The
1: South overflows with history and character from haunted farmhouses to ghostly hotel guests and cemetery wanderers. There are more than a few urban legends born in the Deep South. I'm Ashley McLaughlin, and I'm going to tell you a scary story each week centered around a spooky happening from south of the Mason-Dixon on Southern Haunts Podcast, where I cover everything from cryptids to true crime. Find Southern Haunts Podcast wherever you
2: get your podcasts.
0: now back to the show oh boy
2: okay so i'm gonna finish things off this is caitlin by the way hi everyone so hi caitlin we were hi (laughs) hi odessa (laughs) (laughs) hi caitlin hi sophie (laughs) all right down to business so i'm gonna tell uh, y'all okay i'm really sorry the goriness is not gonna stop uh It's a gushy one. It's October, it's spooky season, um, and I also am always going to be interested in a murder. So I decided to uh, take it back, not as far back as y'all, but um, (laughs) we're going to be in the early 1900s in La Porte, Indiana, and I'm going to tell you about serial killer Belle Gunnis. Fuck. What a name. Yes. Not Beauty and the Beast, Belle. This is fucking Belle (laughs) Gunnis. This
0: is Belle
2: Gunnis. She is
0: the Beast.
2: (laughs) Yeah, she is both the Beauty and the Beast. And honestly, just like before we, like right at the top of this, I'm going to send y'all a picture of her. Yes.
0: Who is the monster and who is the man? Oh, God.
2: This lady is, uh, is coming to my house to fuck me up. I'm getting Mrs. Trunchbull from Matilda vibes a little bit
0: yeah (laughs) the eyes are haunting yes they are (laughs) she looks mean this
2: lady oh she was so my sources for this were all that's interesting.com biography.com legends of com, an article from the new york post and then i watched a video by bailey Sarian, who is great uh she does Talks about murder and does her makeup at the same time on YouTube. And then I listened. Oh, I think I've seen yeah, some of she's, Yeah, she's great. Um, did a good episode on this lady. And then I also listened to a two-parter on her from last podcast on the left. And um, so about three hours of content from them on, on Bell. Uh, So if you're really into that, uh, check them out. I was laughing and also horrified. It was episodes 374 and 375. So Belle, Belle was not her actual name. She changed it when she left her birth country of Norway. Uh, She was born in 1859. Brynhild Palsdaster (laughs) Sorsteth. And I totally butchered that and I don't care. Brynhild though, is quite a name. Brynhild!
0: Brynhild!
2: I love it. (laughs) Um, My change. (laughs) Yeah, well, she was the youngest of eight children. Her dad, Paul, was a stonemason, although Bailey Sarian said he was a traveling magician. So I don't know where that came from. I couldn't find that in any of my sources. But I was like, hell yeah. I oh, God, I wish. Her mother's name was Barrett. So she was raised on a small farm in Norway. And so she was used to like working in the fields, heavy labor, and ended up being somewhere between five, nine and six feet tall. And she probably weighed about 200 pounds. So she was like a tall, like a dense woman. Yeah. We, love, we love a tall, dense Strong. woman. I am one.
1: Yes, we love a <laughs> yeah. big, yes. dense lady. I don't
2: think I could do it. I don't think that's the only comparison I'm going to make to her. <laughs> so she, uh, she works on the farm and then she works as a servant for another, like a wealthy family. And then in 1881, she decides to follow her sister who emigrated to America already. And so Brynhild moves to... Chicago, Illinois, uh, where she decides to change her name to Belle. I believe she changed it to Belle Peterson. Gunnis is her married name, but we're not there yet. Mm. So she's in Chicago, and the main reason that she's there, and really one of the main driving forces in her life, she wants to be wealthy. It doesn't sound like her family was like, really poor or anything, but she's just like, the, the big thing for her is like, I want to be rich. And she's mm. going to do anything she can to get there. So she marries a guy named Mads Albert Sorensen in about <laughs> about 1884. And he is a he's a department store night watchman. A decent job. Yeah. <laughs> Boring, yeah. decent job. And they The timeline, as we kind of know in older stories, the timeline is a little bit fucked up. Last podcast on the left said that she was with this guy Mads for like 10 years. And then kind of shit went down. Or maybe it was even 20 years. I don't know. The timeline is all kind of weird. But she was with this guy Mads for a long time. At some point, they decide to open up a candy store in Chicago. That's, I guess, night watchmanship wasn't going very well or something.
1: (laughs) So far, this is, you know, wholesome. She met a fella, they're opening a candy well, store. Well, yeah,
2: when's the other shoe gonna drop? <laughs> okay, how about the candy store mysteri- mysteriously burns down about two months into the lo- into the business, which is not going very well, by the way. That
0: shit insured? Oh, you know it is. Ay-
2: <laughs> so, the store burns down, it's investigated... And they're like, yeah, I don't know what happened. It was an accident. I don't know. So they get their insurance payout, and they, I guess they get a new house. They also, at some point, have a bunch of kids. A couple of them do die uh, as infants, which did happen a lot. But one of my sources said that they collected life insurance policies for these children as well. But I'm not sure about that. It's also a little bit unclear where these children came from, like, if they were hers or if she adopted them or was like,
0: just like fucking found them was yeah. like, Hey, yeah, you're my child. Though. Yeah.
2: I mean, you know, like, uh, like a baby farm type situation.
0: Oh no. Yeah. So
2: we're not sure about that. Mm-hmm. Last, last podcast on the left seemed to think that she might be um, unable to have children of her own. So I, I'm not really sure, but there are a bunch of kids in the picture. They are, living off this insurance money from the candy store that burned down. And then, you know, I think now's the good time to continue with our insurance fraud. So her husband, Mads, gets a $2,000 life insurance policy. And at some point, you know, down the line, he's decided, you know, I think I want to up this. So that $2,000 policy is going to expire, and then I'm going to get a new policy with a different company, and that's going to be $3,000. That's going to be so awesome. And for like one or two days, these policies overlapped. <gasps> so guess what happens to Mads on that day. Oh no! Oh my god. So he comes home from work with a terrible headache according to Belle, of course. This is all according to her. Mm. She gives him quinine powder. Hey! (laughs) Hey! (laughs) which of course is a common remedy at the time and then she's like I left him in the bedroom he was sleeping and I went to go make dinner and then she came back to check on him and he was dead like what the fuck
0: oh my god what happened so they
2: thought at first that maybe the, the medicine that she gave him, like the pharmacist gave them the wrong thing. So they're like, hey, can you show us the bottle that, of the quinine powder that you gave him? And she's like, no, I throw it away already. <sighs> no, I threw it away. You can't have it. So that's oh, the no. end of that. And she collects from both life insurance policies, which would be about $150,000 today. Wow. Shit. Yep. Either before or after Mads dies, their home also burns down. So here we are going to get a pattern of fire, (laughs) death, and insurance payouts. Here we go. This is where things really start to pick up. So in 1901, Belle Guinness buys a 48-acre farm in Laporte, Indiana, which is, I guess, I'm not really familiar with the Midwest, but I guess it's not that far away from Chicago. She gets this amazing farm. Well, I don't know how amazing it is, but she thinks it is. And then pretty soon thereafter, she marries a, a fellow Norwegian immigrant named Peter Gunnis. So this is where she gets her married name, Belle Gunnis. She is described... <laughs> This is a lot. Okay. Quote, Neighbors described the 200-pound Gunness as a rugged woman who was also incredibly strong. One man who helped her move in later claimed that he saw her lift a 300-pound piano all by herself. I like my music at home, she supposedly said, by way of explanation.
0: Oh, my God. If she wasn't a oh my God. murderer and a fraudster... <laughs>
1: i know i love a huge strong woman who lifts a whole piano because she likes she just music wants at to home. play her music
2: at home and she's so strong that she's gonna bring her piano inside <sighs> she's, so strong. By herself. she's like
0: god damn it i hate going out to hear music i'm gonna bring the damn piano home <laughs> I got my 5 grand I'm going to get stamp <laughs> piano.
2: I do want to mention that I don't really like the emphasis on her weight that is like yeah. throughout all of my sources it's just like not necessary.
0: Yeah, people love to bring that up. <laughs> yes, of course. But, you know, tragedy
2: seemed to follow her wherever she went. Like I don't know why. Like she's such a great strong lady, like girl power, you know, what's wrong? She ends up so her husband Peter has a couple of children from a previous marriage his wife had died I believe and then he married Belle Uh, his infant daughter dies suddenly and like they're they're like I think it's natural causes you know infants unfortunately died a lot back then it was really hard to get a kid past age two or three so nobody really thought anything of it but this is a this is a suspicious death in a line of suspicious deaths with this bitch. And the, the next story is pretty fucked up. So not only does Peter's infant daughter die, then pretty soon Peter himself is also dead suddenly. The coroner wow. <laughs> describes his uh, the incident that caused his death as, quote, a little queer, but believed oh, that was it was it? an
0: accident. What happened to him?
2: So the police and doctors are called to Belle and Peter's house, and they find Peter with his skull crushed, like on the floor in the kitchen or the bedroom or something. And Belle is crying hysterically, and she's telling her story. And the story is that Peter had kept his shoes in the oven to like keep them warm and while he was going, like, bending down to get his shoes out of the oven, the family meat grinder just, like, fell off the shelf and hit him perfectly right in the head, and he died. Do we think that's what happened, yes or no?
0: I have some doubts. <laughs> <laughs> so, okay, so it fell perfectly on his head while he was putting his shoes in the oven or taking them out or something
2: yeah he had a broken nose too i believe there was very little evidence other than bell's story and the autopsy was pretty inconclusive so the death was actually ruled an accident she fucking got away with it and wouldn't you know it he has a spanking new life insurance policy that she's able to collect on after this
0: the the coincidence on that is so lucky (laughs) crazy right
2: (laughs) Wow. So allegedly, one of her uh, foster daughters, her name was Jenny, said, quote, my mama killed my papa. She told her classmates, Uh, quote, she hit him with a meat cleaver and he died. Don't tell a soul. Uh Uh-oh. Well, unfortunately, soon after that, the foster daughter is sent to school in California, never to be heard from again. And the only person that is telling this story is fucking Belle (laughs) Gunnis. Oh no. So we're going to find she... out what happens to her a little bit later. Oh no. This is where she shifts things a little bit. So at right now so far she has only killed husbands and probably children that are either hers or adopt her adopted children or like she may have killed Peter's daughter. From another marriage, but now she's she's trying to get a little creative. She needs to spice things up a little bit, and she decides to start putting personal ads in Norwegian language newspapers because she's Norwegian and uh, she wants to find a new companion.
0: Oh no! Of course, you're, you're victim fishing. Oh
2: yeah. So we actually have some of these personal ads that she submitted, and I've got one here.
0: Yes, please read this. Let's see. Okay.
2: Comely widow, who owns a large farm in one of the finest districts in LaPorte County, Indiana, desires to make the acquaintance of a gentleman equally well provided with view of joining fortunes. No replies by letter considered unless sender is willing to follow answer with a personal visit. Triflers need not apply.
0: (gasps) Ah. triflers need not apply yeah fuck the triflers says bell Gunnis. that's amazing i like that she's i like that she's at least forward with being like hey you also have to be rich yes and it's kind of unclear if she really was looking for companionship
2: or if she just wanted money and people to take care of her farm and shit i i mean i'm pretty sure she just wanted to kill people she liked it at this point and it was a great way to make a little extra cash um, so guess what she got a lot of bites uh- <laughs> Turns out a bunch of Norwegian dudes were really into this ad. (laughs) Neighbors often saw her going on like carriage rides with strangers. Uh, She'd be all dressed up and usually like she worked on a farm. So usually they saw her and they were like, what are you wearing? And then (laughs) she would be on these carriage rides and she was all dolled up. And then one of her farmhands talked to the New York Tribune said, Quote, Mrs. Gunnis received men visitors all the time. A different man came nearly every week to stay at the house. She introduced them as cousins from Kansas, South Dakota, Wisconsin, and from Chicago. She was always careful to make the children stay away from her, quote, cousins, end quote.
0: Weird. Yeah. Very yeah. weird. Yeah. Super weird. So um, she
2: was pretty successful. And overall, she managed to get a lot of men to come. They would bring, she would convince them to get all of their money out of the mail, or God, out of the bank. And she would do all of this by mail. She was writing letters to them. And it sounds like sometimes it was more like of a business transaction. And then sometimes when she needed to, she would like turn on the charm. Last podcast on the left in episode The part two episode, they, like, read some of these letters between her and her lovers or victims, whatever, and they're pretty fucked up. But yeah, she – Sorry, fucked up how? Um, she – yeah, she was just, like, describing, like, herself and what she would do to them when they got here and, uh, you know, how – horny yeah and she was trying to she she wanted to paint this picture of her farm as this like idyllic norwegian homestead in the middle of fucking indiana to lure these guys in with these promises of like it's gonna feel like you're at home but you're in america and there's you know we're gonna make all this money and so there are was at least like five or six dudes that this happened to but the numbers are probably way higher as we're gonna get into in a little bit so most of her victims were these like norwegian bachelors a lot of them didn't have contact with their family and that's how she fucking wanted it and then she gets them to come to her farm neighbors see them there she's like oh this is my cousin and then they just never see them again
0: oh creepy
2: um, they also notice her neighbors notice that she spends a lot of time at her hog pen at night. Wonder what the fuck oh, she's doing no, there. What? She also no, no, no. She also seems to have a lot of wooden trunks and men's clothing all of a sudden. She there's one source that said she had like a room full of trunks and clothing, like men's clothing specifically. And all the dudes coming in are like, Yeah, that's totally chill.
0: That's so fucked. <laughs> That's not true. Yeah,
2: I know. So in about 1906, she connects with her final victim, probably. His name is Andrew, uh, Andrew Helgelian. Lloyd Webber. Helgelian. Yeah, it's Andrew Lloyd Webber. <laughs> yeah,
1: Andrew Lloyd Webber.
2: <laughs> he survived Belle Gunness. No, <laughs> and wrote Phantom of the Opera. <laughs> okay, Um so so she connects with this guy Andrew. He found her ad in a Minneapolis uh, Norwegian newspaper and uh, eventually over time their ex- she turns on the romance with this one big time that she like wants this guy to be on her oh. farm and it takes like 2 years. Oh wow. She is determined and then at the very beginning of 1908 he moves to Laporte, Indiana. Like goes to the bank and withdraws a bunch of money and then is never ever seen again, of course. And this has worked for her in the past, but this is her last victim because Andrew has a brother who gets super worried and keeps bothering her and saying, like, "Where's my brother? Where's my brother?" And she comes back with bullshit excuses like, oh, if I knew where he was, I would tell you like, I'm so distraught. But then sometimes she would say, oh, no, he just went out west. Like, he's fine. So she couldn't even keep her fucking story straight. And that's the thing that's crazy about this lady, too. Her lies weren't even that good. People were just like, well, that's Belle for you. <laughs> like She just <laughs> is a tough old bird. Yeah, a lot of dudes seem to flock to her. And then never Go anywhere else. Exactly. So Andrew's brother's name is Isle, I think. A S L E. So he's going to come back a little bit later. Basically, this is getting to the end of Belle's story, but a lot of shit is going on at the end here. So We're dealing with stuff with Andrew and Andrew's brother, but then she is also dealing with this local carpenter named Ray Lampier, and she had allegedly hired him to do chores and do shit around the farm, but he was a local, so it was a little bit different. So she wasn't going to kill him, but they did have sex, and then when Andrew arrived, apparently he got jealous and she kicked him out. Uh (laughs) Uh-oh. I mean, we don't actually know exactly why, but- Things were no longer good between Ray and Belle. And he was actually charged with harassing her. And he kept being acquitted. But then Belle starts telling people, you know, he's threatening me. He's threatening my children. He's crazy. So she's trying to sow doubt in the towns, like with her neighbors, basically. She goes, and I don't know why she involves the legal system. Like, she, this is so arrogant to me because she's murdering people. But she goes to a lawyer in Laporte and she is like trying to get a restraining order or whatever the past version of a restraining order is against this guy, Ray, her handyman. And she's like, I need to make a will because he's crazy. He's threatening me. And then she leaves her attorney's office. She buys some toys for her children and 2 gallons of kerosene fuck what's this bitch going to do got with plans. these mm-hmm. i don't know same night the farmhouse in laporte indiana burns to the ground authorities find the bodies unfortunately of her three remaining children you know who fucking knows how many children she had or has at this point but they find three children's bodies in the rubble of the farmhouse but most inter- and that's awful most interestingly, they find a woman assumed to be Belle who is missing her head. <gasps> they think it's her, but the autopsy isn't a hundred percent. They are desperately trying to find like her jawbone or her head because they want to see her teeth. Because dental, there was like one dentist in town, so they were like, if we can find her teeth, this dentist might be able to like conclusively tell us if that's her head or not but they never really found it. The handyman Ray is charged with murder and arson and police are obviously searching the farm and they're trying to find Bell's quote unquote Bell's head. Um, Meanwhile, while this is going down that brother Andrew's brother, who was really trying to find Andrew, he reads about the fire and then he just shows up at the house hoping to find Andrew. And he's even like, helping the police, like, digging through rubble and stuff. And it's kind of unclear how they figure this out, but they're digging up dirt in the hog pen, and they fucking find his brother's body chopped up in pieces in bags.
0: Oh, Oh my God. Yep.
2: They keep digging, like, all over the property, and they find 11 burlap sacks, which contained, quote, arms hacked from the shoulders down, and masses of human bone wrapped in loose flesh that dripped like jelly. Oh! I'm sorry, This is, I told you this is a
0: gross this one. This is a gooey I'm sorry, one. listeners, this our is episode
2: a- is so nasty today.
0: There's gonna be a content warning on this shit. There
2: probably should be.
0: Content warning for goo. Yeah, <laughs>
2: <laughs> this is a gooey, gooey episode. Excessive goo. <laughs> <laughs> so... And yeah, they they just, I mean, the description of this scene are just, they're just finding bags and bags of loose bones, and some of them have like defensive wounds, some of them don't, like, it's all just like, it's chaos. Um, They were able to identify that foster daughter, Jenny Olson, who had, quote, left for California, they were able to find her body, but a lot of oh. the bodies were in such a state of decomp and like mutilation that there was there's just no way to actually know what
0: god, that's horrible. happened
2: there exactly. On the lower end, her number of victims is like 14, but the highest people think is about 40. So it's somewhere in between there. Oh my there. god.
1: That's such mm-hmm. a wide range. Yep.
2: And I gotta tell you, this is my, this is the best part. So at this point, after, you know, her maybe headless body has been found. The police are digging up her house, her farm, and they're finding all this stuff. So the papers are going absolutely apeshit on this. This is around the time of H.H. Holmes, too, who was in fucking Chicago nearby. So some people like actually link these two as if like maybe he inspired her
0: or something. But, you know, who knows? I was going to say, because he was doing the same shit. He was literally like setting fires and shit. And insurance Um, fraud, too. Insurance fraud, yeah. So her
2: nicknames (laughs) – the Indiana Ogress, Nope. Aww. The Laporte Ghoul. The Mistress okay. of the Castle of Death.
0: Hell yeah. Whoa. Hell's Princess is the last one. Oh! Oh, yes. <laughs> That's what her dating show should be called. <laughs> hell's Princess. Who will date the Hell's Princess. Yeah.
2: <laughs> so now that her name or her... Um, her nicknames are in the press. People fucking descend on this farm like nobody's business. Some reports say between 16 and 20,000 people came to the farm and they were just watching the police pull bones out of the ground. Just, just, they just wanted to be there. They were eating popcorn. They were eating stew. They would jump into open graves looking for souvenirs. Like, It's great. It was like a little like a festival for these fucking weirdos.
0: That's bedlam. It's insane. Yeah.
2: So this story is unsolved. I mean, I, I mean, maybe Belle died, but I really don't think so. Ray, that, that uh, handyman that was charged with arson and murder, he was found guilty of the arson, but not the murder. And he actually dies of tuberculosis like a year into his sentence and on his deathbed he makes a confession <gasps> he says that him and bell killed 42 men together and that they would spike their coffee bash them in the head cut them up and put them in sacks and then he did the quote planting which was like digging holes and putting the sacks in the holes so he dies and he also there is also I can't remember if he says this or not, but he may maybe tells this person he's giving the confession to that he helped Bell escape. But of course, we're never going to know that. There are rumors, though, that she ended up being known as a woman named Esther Carlson, who was arrested in L.A. in 1931 because Esther poisoned a Norwegian-American man and attempted to steal his money. And she, people said she had a big, like, she really looked like Belle Gunness, and some people said she had pictures of children with her that looked like the Gunnis children. Unfortunately, mm-hmm. this woman, Esther, dies of tuberculosis while she's awaiting trial for this charge in LA, so we're never going to know. And she might still <sighs> be out there,
0: bitches. God damn it.
2: No, the she's not. She's dead folks. by now.
0: <laughs> <laughs> It's a hoax <laughs> ah! thing, Jesus
2: Christ. <laughs> but yeah, that's the story
0: of Indiana's biggest lady serial killer, Belle Gunness. Wow, that was fantastic. So gooey, so spooky. Just people disappearing in an Indiana farm. Yep, twists and turns and a lot of weird shit. Yeah, there was...
1: There's a lot of there's a lot of different dyings. <laughs> yeah a lot, a lot of
0: different dyings on. and killings. yeah. <laughs> Good job, everyone. What a great variety of dyings and killings. <laughs> very spooky, very scary,
2: and especially very gooey.
0: Very yes. gooey one.
2: <laughs> Odessa, we always ask, what's your favorite bone or a bone that's like speaking to you right now?
1: I prepared for this. Uh I I really like a uh, a well formed hand is mm. something that I find very attractive. So I'm gonna go for the metacarpals.
2: Nice.
0: Ooh. Very sexy. You know, I too love a skeleton hand. I have a tattoo of one. You do. Um, That's true. Yeah. Well, thank you so so much for for being with us. This was so special
1: yeah thank you uh so much for having me it's been an absolute blast i loved uh being seeing how the sausage is made of this <laughs> podcast
0: <laughs> on a farm the pod sausage yeah pod on a ca- farm
1: hopefully not uh bell Gunness's farm
2: yeah no we we're gonna go
0: we're gonna go not not that meat grinder <laughs> <laughs> yeah we
2: don't know what happened to the meat grinder oh
0: <laughs> You guys, it's time to take this podcast, hack it to bits, put it in a burlap sack, and stick it in the ground. So
2: all we have to say is... Bone
0: bon <laughs> Bye. Bye! We love you, happy spooky season! Thanks for listening to Anything Bones. Follow us on Instagram or Facebook
2: at Anything bones Podcast, or email us at AnythingBonesPodcast
0: at gmail.com. Thank you to Nick Kruger for our spooky music, and Steven Vetteroff at Chubby Scrubby on Twitter, for our jazzy vocals, and thank you to Camilla Franklin, at Camilla Strader on Instagram, for our beautiful bony artwork. Please rate, review, and subscribe.
2: Trifonius will go back to the cave. You come when you're ready. I'm... I'm Trefonius.
1: Goodbye!